Good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started this morning. So good to see y'all. What a beautiful day to be in the house of God. We're going to go ahead and get some of this. Go ahead and do the announcements. And if I miss anything, y'all can help me out a little bit. So April the 15th, the men's breakfast in the fellowship hall. That'll be at 8.30. And then May the 6th at 8.30, also in the fellowship hall, the men's Bible study. And I hear it's going really good. Heart to Heart is April the 18th at 6th, also in the fellowship hall. And special speaker this month is Carrie Turpin. And I hear y'all want to be there and be a part of her testimony. Um, Prime Timers, April 29th. Faith is that in the fellowship hall as well. Prime Timers. Oh, we're going to Romans right here, right here in the next parking lot. Yes, so meeting there, meeting here, whatever. Just meeting there at noon. Okay, noon. Um, Youth Hangout, it says April the 7th, which will be this Friday night, 7 to 10. And they're having a night egg hunt. I guess so it's going to be glow in the dark, maybe. I don't know. And they'll be serving hot dogs. So if you know any youth, please send them this way. Children's Church Egg Hunt will be next Sunday during the Children's Church service. They'll be, we'll supply the eggs and just bring kids in baskets. So they'll have plenty to carry. Um, Easter, the PM service, we will not be having next Sunday night, just in the morning. So we'll have time to spend with our families and people that are going out of town. So that's about it. Um, are y'all ready to worship? If you are, let's get on your feet and let's welcome. Let's welcome his presence here this morning. Father, we know you were here before we ever walked through these doors, God. And we thank you for that, God. Help us not to ever take the presence of the Lord for granted. Father, we ask this morning that you would just move in a mighty way in this sanctuary, God. Just touching your people, Father. Father, whatever needs are brought into this sanctuary this morning, God, I pray that you would just lift the burden off of the carrier and don't let them leave this room the same, God. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Let's go ahead, guys. Yes, Father. You are mine. 
endless joy, perfect peace. Worthy pain finally will cease. Celebrate, Jesus is alive. Oh, he's alive. this morning that we are not the same as we were. Father, we thank you, God, that you are always with us, God, that you change us, God, on a daily basis. Father, help us to grow in you every single day, Father. Help us to get closer with you with every moment that passes.
It's a rock. 
holds me, I can't get away. Jesus, Jesus. 
never have to question, does God love me? Scripture says that God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. That tells me that that is not a love that I have to deserve. It's not a love that I have to earn because he loved me even while I was yet a sinner. It tells me it's not a performance motivated religion. You know, and we need to not make it that. We need to not make this a performance-motivated religion. Jesus came very much against that because people were doing works to get the acclaim of man. What we're here for is for Jesus. Can you say amen? And I know you want to do this. If you would just go with me, let's worship him together. Would you raise your hands with me? Father, right now our heart's desire is to communicate to you how much we appreciate your love. We thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. That made your love visible, a love that we cannot earn, a love that we do not deserve. But even while we were in rebellion against you, even when our lives represented, it represented something other than a life of obedience to you, we were sinners. And Lord, even then you demonstrated, you made visible your love on the cross of Calvary. So Lord, if we ever question, does God love us? May we know to look to Calvary. May we know to look at the high price that was paid for our salvation. And Lord, we pray, we pray your blessing upon your people today. Father, we come into your presence, Lord, with 
with a thanksgiving, with a worship, with an adoration. We come into your presence with an anticipation, with an expectation of what you want to do. So, Father, we're meeting together with you. Move by your spirit, Father, and do in this meeting all that you desire to do. And may the outcome be exactly your perfect will. Bless with your blessing, provide with your provision, anoint with your anointing, equip with your empowering, and God, have your perfect way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is so good. Amen. Uh, I know y'all don't do this a whole lot here, but I would like for you to do away with the pews and do away with the aisles, get around and shake hands. It's good to show yourself friendly a little bit. Paula will show you how to do it. And if you would get around, shake hands, hug necks, go right back into some music if you would, brother. Uh, y'all have liberty. Thank you, Lord. Bless y'all. Bless you. God is good. Wonderful to watch y'all be happy and love on each other. You sound like a bunch of geese, and what a blessing that is, just to hear y'all laughing and enjoying each other. We're going to heaven together. Amen. We better start getting used to each other down here, because we're going to spend a whole lot of time together up there. And it's great to walk into a church and see people laughing, enjoying each other's company, encouraging one another. Thank God we're not a bunch of old snouts and snoots and... Uh, thank God we can love one another. Uh, ushers, if you would, please prepare yourself to receive a Sunday morning tithe and offering. Thank God for the blessing that he's blessed each of us with. And now it's our desire to be able to just give back to him a portion of what he's given us. And this part already belongs to him. So it's not that we're giving back. We're not giving God something that's not already his. We're giving back to him what belongs to him. And it's that tithe. Uh, the deacon board just asked me if I would share with you briefly, and that is, is that they're still at work to, uh, looking for the candidate. The candidate is not there yet, but if you would continue to be praying for the deacon board, we want the right pastor for the church. Amen. And so that's the heartbeat of the deacon board, and I believe of the church as well. Uh, if you would, Brother Ron, would you pray a blessing for the offering?
Nashville. Thank you very, very much. The Lord is so good to us, amen. amen. And uh, I thank you for allowing me to be here with you. Uh, we'll be together again next Sunday for Easter. Uh, everyone, do everything you can to get somebody to come with you next Sunday. Uh, there's a whole lot of empty pews, and we want to fill these up. And so if you would, please, I'd like to invite you to, uh, if there's people that have attended the church before and for some reason they're not coming, uh, just reach out to them and, and invite them to be with us. There's some people that will come on Easter that have come no other time of the year. And so if you would, let's do our part in getting them to come. Uh, if you will, please, I just feel the leading of the Holy Spirit to have the prayer line after the message. So if you come this morning with a, a desire for prayer, uh, just know that there's going to be that opportunity given. I, I brought my anointing oil, and, and we're going to give an opportunity for God to, to do a work on your behalf. Uh, I've been praying for many of you, because when you come to the prayer line, I, I listen to your prayer request, and the Lord's laid them upon my heart, and I've been, in my private, personal time, I've been praying for many of the needs of the church, like LaDonna's mother recovering from that knee replacement surgery, and, and our sister facing hip possibly hip replacement surgery, and some of you that I've been praying for. But we are going to have a prayer line and a time, an opportunity given you for prayer. And I believe that time ought to be given every service. That's just kind of my personal opinion, especially on Sunday morning. But then know this, Sunday night, if you ever want prayer, catch Paul and I, we're always here, always available to pray for you. It's a good church. You got good things ahead. You are good people. And you need a good pastor. Amen. And, and I'm, I've said this, I think, about a half a dozen times, but I can't help but say it again. Don't settle. Yes. You know, uh, expect God's best. You know, one of the things I told my five grandsons, and in fact, Paul and I, uh, we asked the deacon board if we could, uh, if we could um, cancel next Sunday evening service. Uh, one is, is because I've got a grandson that's invited me to be at, Comanche, Paula? Comanche, Oklahoma. He's met a young lady, and, and they've been dating now for a while, and we've met her. Her name's Michaela. And he's going to ask her to marry her, him next Sunday night. And he called this week, or called us, and said, Papa, Nana, you know, I want y'all both to be there when I ask Michaela to marry me. And uh, so that's kind of cool. Neat that he asked the old, old Papa Nana to be there, yeah. And so next Sunday, that's night, that's where we're going to be and, and uh, be there to be able to be a part of that. Family's important. Yes, yes. I, I'm going to tell you one thing I told all five grandsons is don't settle when you pick your bride. If you have to talk yourself into her, don't. <laughs> Can you say amen? Okay, I'm going to tell you the same thing. Don't settle for a pastor. If you have to talk yourself into him, don't. I didn't get as many amens on that one, did I? Yeah, but it, it, is a, it is a truth, and God's got good things ahead. I've got a message for you this morning. If you would, please find your Bible. When you find your Bible, find with me, please, Isaiah. Find Isaiah chapter 53, and, ooh, well, what happened there? When you find Isaiah 53, the title of the message this morning is, Why Christ Suffered. Why Christ Suffered. Oh, I've got a, a slide that disappeared, don't I? Yeah, it sure did. 
but that's okay. The title of the message, uh, again, is Why Did Christ Suffer? If you would, please, uh, I brought this up in my study time. You'll see it on the board. When I say the word Christ, a good question is, what does that mean? We say many times, we say Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Uh, Christ is who he is. Uh, if you look at the screen, what we find is the word Messiah, and, and, and I've watched many of you taking pictures of the screen because you see something come up that you want to do a further study on. Boy, that is so good. I, I love doing that. If you'll notice with me, the word Messiah appears two times in the Old Testament, and it appears two times in the New Testament. The word Messiah, if you would, appears in Daniel. It, it appears in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. There's one mention. And in the next verse, 26, Messiah is mentioned again. And when you come to the New Testament, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. When you come into the New Testament, the word Messiah is mentioned twice, both of them by John. John chapter 1, verse 41. John chapter 4, verse 25. Both of those are the mentions of Messiah. If you'll notice with me the translation in the Old Testament from the Hebrew, the word means anointed. You come to the New Testament, uh, the Greek word means, and it's translated Christ. When you look up the word Christ, as far as how many times it's mentioned in the Bible, it's only in the New Testament, and it's mentioned 55 times. So uh, all this takes is a good PC study Bible, and you can find exactly how many times the word Christ is mentioned, and it's 55 times. It comes from the Greek word Christo. And so when you hear someone say the Christos, they're saying the Messiah, the Christ. And so Christ is the anointed one. He is Messiah. So when I say Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the longed for one, and that is Jesus Christ. If I was a Christian and someone explained to me the death of Jesus, I would have to ask some questions like, why such suffering? Why did the Christ, why did the Christ, the Messiah, not only have to die, but have to suffer like he did? Why, why did there have to be such torture, literally torture, for the Christ. If you would, please, in John chapter 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, notice with me the giving of the Father. When I think of the gift of God the Father, I see two primary gifts. One is the coming of Jesus Christ from the glories of heaven, humbling himself, being fashioned in the form of a man, him becoming a baby, laying in a manger, in Bethlehem. What a gift. What a gift. Okay, the reality is this. You and I won't understand the magnitude of that gift until we get to heaven. You know, when we get to heaven and we see Jesus in his glory, we'll say, you gave up your glory to become a baby? When we get to heaven, we look around at the splendor of heaven, we'll say, wow, you gave up all of this to go to a crummy, lousy earth? Are you with me? We won't understand the full magnitude of the gift of Christ's coming until we get to heaven. The other thing I see is, is the gift of his death. 
When you understand, and, and I'm going to try to, today is triumphal entry. And I love triumphal entry. I love Palm Sunday. But the reality is if I preach nothing but Palm Sunday today, there's something that happens on Friday this week that is the most important event in Christianity. And that is the death of Jesus Christ. And then the resurrection next Sunday. Honestly, the resurrection is the most important event. And the second most important is what happened on Friday. But you can't have the resurrection without the death. Are you with me? And you can't have the death without the birth. And so we see all of this coming together to fulfill God's plan. So what I say is both, both the birth of Jesus Christ and both the death of Jesus Christ were tremendous prices that were paid. Hebrews, if you will please, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12 and 2 tells me that I am to look to Jesus. And if you'll notice with me, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author or the originator and the finisher, the completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Notice those next three words, despising the shame. I'm going to tell you, Jesus did not enjoy Calvary. I'm going to tell you, Jesus did not want to. The man, Jesus, Jesus was all God and all man. Can you say amen? Sometimes I pause just to make for sure that you know what I'm talking about. He's all man and all God. And so the reality is Jesus did not want to go to Calvary. Remember what he said in Gethsemane? He said, Father, if there's any way, may this cup be removed from me. If there's any way, we can find another way. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus did not, he despised the shame of the cross of Calvary being bare and virtually naked in front of everyone. He despised the shame of all of it. So I want you to understand that right up front, Jesus did not enjoy Calvary. He despised it. Uh, when I look at the suffering of Calvary in the New Testament, I see in Mark chapter 14, verse 65, from the Sanhedrin, the Jews, Jesus received the punishment of being sped upon, being beaten with fist, slapped with palms. When you look in, Matthew, in Mark 15, 15 through 20, from the Romans, because if you remember with me the process, he was arrested in Gethsemane. He was taken first to the Jews and then the Jews to the Romans because the Jews could not kill anyone under Roman occupation. In Mark 15, 15 through 20, from the Romans, he was scourged. He was punctured with a crown of thorns. He was beaten with a rod or a staff. He was sped upon and he was mocked all by the Romans. In Mark chapter 15, verse 25 says, now it was the third hour of the day in a Roman clock. The first hour of the day is 6 a.m. The third hour of the day is 9 a.m. So it was 9 a.m. And please look at me and look at this uh, scripture. Could I get you just a moment to focus upon Mark 15 and 25? And do you see the simplicity of that? Because it, it seems like it's almost trivial. But see, Mark was writing to the Roman mind. He was writing to people who knew exactly what he was talking about. And when he, when he said this, now it was the third hour and they crucified him. That sounds almost trivial to me, but the reality is Mark knew that the people who 
first read his letter would know exactly what crucifixion meant. Well, death by crucifixion is suffocation. If you will, please notice with me a person hanging on the cross, all their weight pulling on their hands and, and pushing with their feet. They had to do this, literally push and pull to be able to exhale. The diaphragm is collapsed, hanging like this, and you can't, you can't exhale. To be able to exhale, literally had to push and pull to be able to breathe out. That's why they would break the victim's legs. When they would break the victim's legs, then it was only the arms that they could pull, pull up with to be able to exhale. That's the purpose for the breaking of the legs. Jesus Christ was on the cross. It was 9 a.m. in the morning, and they crucified him. And, not, and John 19 and 34 says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. That ended, that verified the death of Christ. Christ didn't die with the spear going in his side. It was a confirmation that he was already dead. Jesus died the suffering of the crucifixion on an old rugged cross. Can anybody say amen? Thank God for Jesus. Now, if you will, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, we really get more details about the specific suffering of Christ on the cross. See, I, I want you to know that there was a high price that was paid for your salvation. If you'll notice with me in Psalm 22 and 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. That's the NIV. Uh, 22 and 14, the English version. My strength is gone. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like melted wax. Uh, Psalm 22 and 15, my throat is as dry as dust and my tongue clings to the roof of my mouth. 22 and 17, all my bones can be seen by enemies look at me and they stare. 22 and 18, they gamble for my clothes and they divide them among themselves. That confirmation of the fulfillment of that prophetic word. This is very prophetic. Psalm 22 is uh, David writing this psalm is a prophet. And, and it's like he's standing at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus giving such detail. So if you will, in Isaiah 50 and 6, this is the only scripture that makes reference to the plucking of his beard. In Isaiah 50 and 6, it says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame nor from spitting. That's Jesus. Isaiah 52 and 14, if you will, in the, in the English version, many people were shocked when they saw him, saw the Messiah. He was so disfigured, he hardly looked human. Do you see that? Uh, Isaiah, from a prophetic word some 500 years before it ever happened, she, uh, he, he was looking forward to Christ the Messiah and this is kind of what he saw to be able to communicate. He was so disfigured. He was so abused. He was so tortured. That would be a word that we would use. He was so tor tortured that he didn't even hardly look human. What we see is Jesus not only was abused by the Romans, but the Romans gave him a cross to carry to Calvary. When he got to Calvary, he was crucified and Jesus Christ paid the high price for our salvation. Can you say amen? If you would, in Isaiah 53, again, the prophet gives me insight. So if you would, please go with me. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning with verse 3. 
And it's speaking of Christ, speaking of Messiah. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord, notice with me, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So every sin that you have sinned was laid upon Jesus Christ. He laid upon God the Father, laid upon God the Son, the iniquity of us all. If you will, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. Verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. In other words, they killed him between two thieves with the wicked. But with the rich at his death, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased God the Father, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, God the Son. He has put him, God the Father has put him, God the Son, to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord, thank God for mercy, shall prosper in his hand. He shall see he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. In other words, he's going to accomplish his purpose by his knowledge, by his righteous servant, Jesus Christ, the servant fulfilling the purpose of the Father, shall justify many. And he shall bear their iniquities. Can anybody say amen? He's going to bear your and my sin. And verse 12, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. He was crucified with thieves. And he bore the sins, there it is again, and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And I gotta say, amen. Thank God for Jesus, amen. I, I read this and I see a high price. And again, what I say is, is this, um, if you knew nothing about Christianity, and you were introduced to this message, and you, you hear that the Messiah has to suffer like this. The Messiah must be tortured. It, it makes you ask, why did God's Son come to earth to suffer? Uh, why was the prophetic word pointing to it, and then Jesus fulfilled it? Why did God's Son have to suffer and be tortured like that? Uh, it looks like, from the outside world, it looks like weakness. From the outside world, it looks like poor planning. From the outside world, which would not be a Christian, it looks like a terrible mistake. 
I'm going to tell you, I've, I've been able to win a couple of Muslims to Christ. Well, no, I'm, I'm sorry, one Muslim to Christ. Uh, and the reality is it's very hard to reach a Muslim and to be able to witness to them and see them come to Jesus Christ. But I've been able to reach one. And one of the big conflicts in talking to people from other religions, and Islam is one of them, how in the world can your God look so weak? How can your God that you claim is Lord God omnipotent, who reigns and is sovereign over everything, how could your God appear so weak and suffer like that on Calvary and die like that? I'm going to answer that question today. How can my God and why did my God suffer like he did? Number one, if you would, here's the answer. Number one, the price for sin. There had to be a price paid for the sin of all mankind. Jesus suffered and paid the high price for sin. Sin by its design separates us from God. That's the purpose and that's the objective of sin. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to bring into our lives anything that will separate us from God. When Adam and Eve obeyed God, or when they disobeyed God, they created a barrier between them and God. That barrier came because of sin. The barrier represented rebellion against God's plan. This barrier of sin represents rejection of God's command. It represents denial of God's authority. I'm my own boss. It, It represents defiance against God's sovereignty. That is the barrier in the lives of every sinner today. That is a beautiful explanation of the culture that we live in. People that are living anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, If you will, sin says, I don't care if your God has a plan for my life. Sin says, uh, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own boss. Uh, Sin says, I'm the one in control of my life. And all the time, listen to me, somebody else is pushing their buttons. You don't get free till you accept Christ. I said, you don't get free till you accept Christ. And the lie of the enemy is, is that they t- the enemy so tells people that, that that religion is nothing but bondage. Boy, when you, when you become a Christian, you give up this, you give up that. Uh, there's no more fun in your life. And you become a Christian, man, you're just bondage to religion. Let me tell you, you don't even know freedom till you accept Christ. Uh, notice with me, though, sin says, I don't need any restrictions placed on me. What a lie. Sin is us giving in to the weaknesses of our flesh. Now, look at me and please understand sin. Sin leads you around by a nose ring of your own weaknesses. Just you're a puppy being led around by your own weaknesses. Uh, Sin is when we value the world more than we value God. Uh, Sin is living in agreement with Satan's rebellion. Satan is rebellious against God and everything that represents God. When you enter into a life of sin and allow that sin to dominate your life, the reality is Satan wins and Satan's got you. If you will, sin is refusing to submit to God in obedience. That is the ultimate objective of sin. Sin is awful. Sin destroys. Sin separates. Sin will take you to an eternity in hell. Now, uh, I believe that hell is not a figurative place. I believe hell is a literal place. 
There's a lot of preachers that stand behind a pulpit just like this and tell you that there's not such a thing as heaven, not such a thing as hell. Hell is, not, is just a figment of your imagination. Hell is just a, a illustration of a life that is lived and it's not happy and it's not joyful. I'm going to tell you, there is an eternity called hell. Hell is a place that you do not want to go to. And hell is the ultimate objective of our spiritual enemy. And that, what does he use? He uses sin, rebellion, rejection of God to get there. Okay, let's go. If you would, please. There has to be a price paid for sin. In Hebrews 9 and 22, the NIV, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, sin, I, I tried to paint a picture of, of sin and how ugly, how nasty, how dirty, how awful it is. And there had to be a price paid for sin. And the only price that can be paid for sin, because it's so awful, it's so terrible, it's, it brings such destruction, it has to be blood. There is no remitting or remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9 and 28 says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins yes. of many people. Yes. Can you say amen? And I, let, let me, if you don't mind, just make that last phrase a little bit clearer. Christ suffered and died once, was sacrificed one for the sins of all people. Yes. Are you with me? He died for everybody. Now, you know the Levitical law. You know that in Leviticus chapter, if you remember with me, chapter 17, there is the, in the Levitical law, there's the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the priest would go into the holiest of holies. There he would make a, an atonement for the sins of the people. The word atonement from the Hebrew Old Testament literally means a covering. It, it would be a blood covering for the sins of the people. The high priest had to do that every year. It was a repeated sacrifice every year, uh, the Day of Atonement. And the atonement was this. It was a temporary appeasing of God's aggression towards sin. God hates sin. Sin is rebellion against Him. But Israel would sin. They were flesh and blood. They were mankind. And so to be able to appease God's aggression towards sin, to where He didn't wipe out all humanity, here was the priest yearly giving an atonement. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross of Calvary, he then became the perfect Lamb of God. He became the once for all sacrifice for sin. Jesus is offered once. Uh, this sacrifice doesn't have to be repeated because of the magnitude of the sacrifice. It is God's Son. And he suffered once for all mankind. And thank God we do, it doesn't have to be repeated. Uh, Hebrews tells us that when Christ died, he entered once into the holiest of holies. He laid down himself as the perfect sacrifice of all mankind, not with the blood of bulls and goats or the sprinkling of the ashes of heifers, but with his own precious blood. And then when he turned and left the holiest of holies, he grabbed hold of the veil of the temple. He tore it from top to bottom. And now we have access to God. That's all through the accomplishment of Calvary. Uh, if you remember with me, at the moment of death this Friday, at the moment of death, some three o'clock in the afternoon, the veil of the temple tore from top to bottom. Okay, why did it tear? Because Jesus went into the holiest of holies, gave himself as the perfect sacrifice for all mankind, tore the veil of the temple, said, you've got access to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for Calvary. Can you say amen? That is Jesus' sacrifice 
for sin. Isaiah 53 and 5 in the English version, but because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. And please understand this. As much as your mother told you that you were perfect, you're not. Okay? You know, uh, Paula's got a sign on the wall, a, a little picture and a sign on the wall that says, I can at Nana's house. You know, and the reality is five grandsons, no, they can at Nana's house. And the reality is, is uh, Paul and I have instilled in our grandsons that we love them and we think they're wonderful. But the reality is there's still no good lousy sinners. Just like you and just like me. If you will, uh, 53 and 6 of Isaiah says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you will, 53 and 12 says, And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Uh, uh, you know what an intercessor is. In the original Hebrew, it, and it's also in Greek, and translated intercessor, where we get the word lawyer or attorney. And that is, is this, an intercessor comes between two parties and in between becomes an intercessor between these, bringing them together and trying to work into an agreement that they can uh, kind of both agree with, an, an intercessor. See, we needed someone to come between us and God as an intercessor that could mend the relationship between God and take the hand of man, and this is what he did. Are you with me? Yes. He took the hand of God and he took the hand of man as intercessor. And he died on the cross of Calvary. He paid the price for us. Through Jesus, we can declare sin's price is paid in full. Can you say amen? amen. Through Jesus, we can declare, I am redeemed. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Are you with me? And that's more than a song. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We can say, I am forgiven. All because of the accomplishments of Calvary. Why did Jesus have to suffer like he did? Because he had to pay the high price for sin. But thank God he did. Now, the enemy over and over is going to come against you to try to make you feel like that price is not enough. That, that, that is his tactic. That is his ploy. How in the world can the enemy make you feel guilty for sins that you did and you've already confessed, you're already forgiven of, but he can still bring guilt and condemnation? That is a beautiful example of the enemy minimizing the accomplishment of Calvary. See, you, you do something, you, you, you goofed up and you whatever, and let me just paint a real ugly scenario. Uh, you were married, you had an affair on your wife, and, and it caused the, the, the divorce and the destruction of that relationship. That's awful. That's terrible. You come to the Lord and say, God, forgive me. You know what? Jesus forgives you. Are you with me? Now, other people may not, but Jesus does. You know, 1 John 1 and 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So the Lord forgives you. And then later on in life, you, what you do is you begin to feel guilty or condemned for what you did. And the fact is, the Lord's already forgiven you. Now, what we've got to do is this. We've got to recognize Jesus Christ paid a high price for my sin. And his price is enough. I don't need Christ plus something else. Uh, that's the Judaizers of Galatians. They said you need the Old Testament law plus the blood of Jesus Christ, and that equals salvation. No, it doesn't. 
I've had some people say, you need to come to the altar and you need to pray for at least 30 minutes or you're not saved. No, it's not. All you need is Christ. You don't need any work. Uh, Paula was raised Church of Christ. She was taught for years. You, you do not get saved until you go underwater, until you're water baptized. The Church of Christ will tell you that salvation takes place right there. Now you're saved. No, it doesn't. There is nothing that I can do this, pray for 30 minutes, whatever. There's nothing I can do that I earn or deserve my salvation. Jesus paid the price in full. It's Christ and Christ alone. Can you say amen? Why was it such a terrible ordeal, the torture? Why did Jesus suffer so much? Because Jesus paid the high price for the sins of all mankind. Now, some people say, well, Jesus was just another martyr. You know, there've been other martyrs and other religious groups. Listen to me. The thing that made Jesus different than any other martyr is he could have quitted at any time. At any time, he could have been able to be set free from the suffering. So if you would, let's go to number two, the high price paid for the reason we have such a high price paid by our Savior. Number two is the price for healing. Thank God for healing. Okay, I'm going to do something here, and I've got a motive, and, and I, I think you all kind of halfway know me by now. I think Paula said this is our seventh week with you, and, and I've enjoyed being with you, and, and, and I pray for you all daily, uh, and, and you all are kind of getting to know us, and, and you kind of tolerate me sometimes, but here's one of those times that you're going to uh, need to tolerate me, and that is this. How many people here have been healed? I'm looking. Some of y'all ain't got it yet. Okay. You're going to get it here now. Okay. Uh, there are many different ways to be sick. Anybody say amen? amen. You've been there. Um, sickness. I hate sickness. You know, I don't know why any Christian would want to be sick. You know, I don't know. There's such a thing. Scripture reveals to me. In fact, come back tonight. We're going to talk about it a little bit. There's such a thing as a spirit of infirmity. And a spirit of infirmity is, that's all you want to talk about, your sickness. Have you ever been around anybody that all they talk about their sickness? Uh, this hurts, that hurts. And hang around a little bit and I'll find something else that hurts. You know, God delivers from that. But notice with me, sickness eats away at the body with cancer, destroys energy through heart disease. It removes pleasure of food with diabetes. It takes away mobility with bone and muscle disease. It robs of independence. It limits accomplishments. It distorts outlook on life, and it causes the loss of dignity. Can anybody say amen? amen. I hate it. I hate it. Sickness, disease, injuries are all cruel. None of them are good. Now, it was necessary that a high price be paid for us to be healed. Now, if Satan had his way, we would never experience healing. If Satan had his way, you would never, he comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. For me personally, any one of you could do this if you're my age or up, but for me personally, I dove headfirst into a concrete cellar when I was about six years old. 
I run head on into my next door neighbor. Wasn't one of my smarter events, but uh, my brother kind of came up with an idea that me and the neighbor should leave this corner of the house and we were going to run a race. The only thing that he thought would be cool is if we didn't run side by side, but if we ran in different directions. And so I ran that way and he ran this way and lo and behold, we timed it perfect and wasn't one of my smarter days. But I got a scar, and I still got it today. Uh, I wrecked my bicycle and tore the hunk out of my calf. I wrecked my motorcycle and took off the skin on my arm. I've had double pneumonia, hepatitis, tonsillectomy, uh, appendix removed. I've had five back surgeries, shoulder replacement, hip replacement. I've had hemorrhoids from weightlifting. I've had stomach virus that made me plead for death. You all know what I'm talking about? You're just puking up your guts. God, please kill me. And, and I, I've had the flu. I've had a cold. I've had two broken ribs from snow skiing and have to drive a school bus back home from Colorado. I broke my toe coming out of the water baptism. I've been over in the grocery store to get something off the shelf and hit my head and laid my... Uh, uh, I got a black eye this morning because I rumped into my weightlifting machine. With that list, I know I've missed something. And any of you guys that like to play, you could do the same thing. Now, if you sit around on your couch all week and never do nothing, yeah, you're safe. But if you get out and do something, you're going to get a bruise. Now, I thank God, though, I've never had a baby. I've been around a lot of ladies that have had them. I've prayed for them before they go into delivery, and they do not make it look fun. Well, I tell you, one of the hardest scripts I ever got was holding a little uh, 100-pound girl going in for, to deliver her baby and praying for her, and then she'd get a, a pain about that time. And, man, she'd just grab a hold of that hand, and she'll take you to the ground. <laughs> Uh, I haven't had female surgery, and thank God I haven't had heart surgery. I've never had a blood clot. I've never had an aneurysm, and thank God I've never had to deal with cancer. Uh, for me today, I can tell you I feel great. Hallelujah. I can tell you that I'm standing behind a pulpit straight up, and I'm not, I'm not on pain pills, uh, thank God. I, I, I'm doing good. For me, I've been healed from headache, from eye injury, from leg injury, from an arm injury. I've been healed of pneumonia, hepatitis, a ruptured appendix, a herniated disc. I've been healed of the flu, of the cold, a stomach virus. I've been healed of broken ribs, a broken toe, and hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids are a pain in the rear. <laughs> Anybody say amen? And I can tell you, I've been healed. Thank God. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you paid any attention to me before and now after, how many people here have been healed? Look at me. Every hand ought to be up. Are you with me? I'm waiting until you all hold your hand, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm done with you. I'm put out. Okay, finally, every hand. Okay, the reality is, if you've been, look at me, please. Y'all got to get the understanding of healing. Y'all don't understand healing. If you're there being all rebellious, I ain't hold my hand up because he wants me to. Listen to me. If you've been sick and are not sick, you've been healed. 
some, some people got this misconception, if I don't have a leg that got longer or if I don't have uh, cancer that's been, uh, listen to me, if you have thrown up your guts and you're not throwing up your guts, thank God I've been healed. Jesus paid a high price that you could hold up your hand and say, I've been healed. And the sad reality is we've got so many Christians that won't even hold up their hand and acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ has healed me. Are you with me? Notice with me, if you would please, Psalm or Isaiah 53 and 5. It said this, we are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. New King James, by his stripes, we are healed. And that's just the simplicity of it. See, there is no sickness, there's no injury that has not been provided for in the suffering of Jesus Christ. He endured this, this scourging. He took this. Uh, he allowed these, these individuals, these Roman soldiers, he allowed them, he permitted it, he allowed them to abuse him, to torture him, to, to, to bring such suffering because he was paying the price for you to be able to hold up your hand and say, I've been healed. And thank God, I've been healed. Thank God he did that for me. So Jesus paid the high price, the cost for your and my healing. Why did the Christ have to suffer so? Why did the Christ go through such torture? One is he paid the high price for our sin. Two, he paid the high price for our healing. And number three, he reveals to us complete victory. Say so the reality is he gives us an example, an example of victory regardless. Regardless of scourging, regardless of a crown of thorns, regardless of a cross, regardless of a puncture, regardless of all that he endured, he was in victory all the way through it. Notice the question I asked, and the, then I answered it. The question is, at what point in Jesus' suffering did he receive victory? The answer is, he had victory all the time. Yes. From the beginning to the end, Jesus was in complete victory. Notice with me, if you would, John 10, 17 and 18. They did not take his life. He gave it. Uh, if you will, please, it says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So the reality is this. They did not take his life. He gave it. And if you will, in, in Matthew 25, 53 and 54, it tells me that at any moment, Jesus could have stopped it. See, this is what sets Jesus aside from all other martyrs. Uh, Joan of Arc could not have stopped it when the fire started burning her flesh. Jesus had the power at any moment he could have stopped it. And I, I don't really believe that most people understand the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew. In Matthew, if you'll notice with me, Matthew 26, 53 and 54. 
uh, if you remember with me, they've come to arrest him. Peter's pulled out a sword and he's swapped off uh, an ear. And I don't know if he's a really good aim or if he's a really lousy aim, depends on what he aimed at, but he did get an ear. And then because of that, Jesus corrects Peter and he says this. He says, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus, like this? In other words, he said, Peter, put up your sword. At any moment, I could call 12 legions of angels. In the Old Testament, we find it took one angel one night to kill 185,000 Assyrians. One angel, one night. What is 12 legion? A legion is four to 5,000. You take four, the lower number, that's 48,000. You know what we're talking about here? We're talking about world destruction. You need to get the magnitude of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, don't you realize that I could call enough angels to destroy the whole planet and set me free? We're talking about world destruction. At no time did Jesus not have the position of victory. He was victorious all the way through his suffering. He could have stopped it. He could have stopped it at any time. He had complete autonomy, complete authority, complete victory. If you will, Isaiah 53 and 11, the English version says, after a life of suffering, he will again have joy. He will know that he did not suffer in vain. He devoted, my devoted servant with whom I am pleased will bear the punishment of many and for his sake, I will forgive them. Jesus came with a specific cause. He wanted to fulfill the, God, the Father's plan. He came, he stayed true to that plan. See, Jesus knew that his suffering was why he came to the planet. If you will, in Colossians 2 and 15, I love this verse, Colossians 2 and 15. And it's one of those really nuggets that is so easy to overlook in scripture. But in Colossians 2 and 15, it says, and on that cross, Christ freed himself from the power of the spiritual rulers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them by leading them as captives in his victory procession. See, while he was on the cross, it looked very weak to the world. It looked like a terrible failure to the world. But Jesus, all the time hanging on the cross, was defeating principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. He was making a public spectacle of them, and they didn't even know it. He was leading, leading captivity captive. He, he, in that time on Calvary, it was a pro, pro, procession, it was a parade of victory, Amen. making a public spectacle of the enemy. If you will, please, in John 12 and 27, but for this purpose I came to this hour. It was on triumphal entry, this day that we're remembering that he said that. It is for this purpose, this day, that I've come. If you will, in John 19 and 30, Jesus' last words from Calvary was, it is finished. He came for his purpose. He fulfilled his purpose. He paid the price for our sin. 
and he gained our victory. I want you to see something with me, and let's go back to that original verse again. Uh, just a moment, if, if I could just get 100%, because I really would like for you all to see this. And it says this, looking unto Jesus. What does that tell me? It tells me I've got an example. Look, look, look at Jesus. In other words, everybody here, no matter where you're at, I don't, I don't care what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter how bad your life is, and it doesn't matter what your problems are. You need to look to Jesus, because Jesus is the originator, the author, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father, at the throne of God. So the reality is Jesus endured the cross, despised the shame, but for the joy that was ahead of him, anticipated that he was going to be seated at the Father's right hand. He was in total victory all the time, from beginning to end. Okay, let me tell you, church, we can have victory today regardless, regardless of what you're going through. See, the fact is, I can tell you that whatever you're going through is not as bad as Calvary. Are you with me? And so, and this is, the, this is the challenge of the Hebrew writer, I personally believe is Paul. The challenge is this, look to Jesus. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your problem, uh, no matter what your situation, look to Jesus, who is the one that our faith originated in, and our faith is complete in, comes to maturity in. Look to Jesus, the originator and the finisher of our faith. And this is what he did. For the joy that was ahead, he endured. And he lived in victory. Okay, I'm going to tell you, church, for the joy that is ahead of you, you can make it today and you can put a smile on your face. You can live in victory, even though, no matter what you're going through, victory regardless. I believe that is an explanation of the Christian life. And that is victory regardless. Why can you have a smile on your face when you're going through this? Because I've got victory. Uh, How can you witness to your doctors, to your nurses, when you're going in for the removal of a brain tumor and you've got cancer and you may not even recover? Because I've got victory regardless. You know, if the Lord heals me, I win. If I die, I go to heaven, and I win. You can't threaten a Christian with death. It's a win-win. Can you say amen? You know, I'm really trying to preach to this church. Now let's bring it to you, Long Grove. You need victory today. A pastor's coming, yeah, better's ahead, yes. But even in the time of challenge that you're in now, you need to put a smile on your face. You need to quit whining and griping and complaining. I so appreciate how Julie started the service. She started with happy day. And I sit there thinking, go girl. Happy day. I mean, uh, let's have victory today. Because let me tell you, a man, a pastor is not your source of victory. No man is your source of victory. Can you say amen? My victory is found in the Lord. And I'm going to have victory today regardless. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, regardless of how the enemy might make it look. Are you with me? Quit caring what other people think. Because like I said, to the outside looking at Calvary, it looked like a terrible failure. It looked like, man, your God's dead. Your God's dying. But the reality is, Jesus had victory all the way through. He was fulfilling his plan. 
He was leading captivity captive. He was making a public spectacle of all the rulers of darkness and the forces of evil. He was triumphing over them in the cross of Calvary. And I got to say, hallelujah. <laughs> what does that mean? It means this. Bills paid, everything great, victory. Or laid off, things a mess, victory. Are you with me? What does it mean? Healthy or sick, victory. Some of you are getting it, some are not. Okay, pain-free or hurting, victory. Uh, what does it mean? Friends and family close or all alone? Victory. No matter what our circumstance. From Jesus, we learn how to have victory. Let me tell you, there was a high price that was paid. Why did Christ suffer like he did? Why was it torture? Why did he go through that? Because he paid the high price for your sin and my sin. He paid the high price for my healing, your healing. And he shows me that I can have victory in my life every day, regardless of the circumstances that I'm in. Can you say amen? Why? Because he paid that high price for you and me. Thank God for Calvary. Amen. I love preaching the, Cal the cross of Calvary. You know, we don't have a whole lot of preaching about the cross, but, it, but now you understand my heart, I think, because the reality is, is next Sunday, come next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to shout and holler and thank God for the victory. <laughs> Hallelujah. But listen to me, there could not be a resurrection if there wasn't a Calvary. Thank God for Calvary. Let's have prayer. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the stirring of your Holy Spirit even right now. And Father, we want the truth of your word to become evident as part of our lives. We don't want to be just hearers of the word, but we want to be hearers and doers. And Father, I pray for these in this congregation that need victory, wherever they are, whatever they're dealing with, Lord, may they know that in the midst of the life circumstances, they can live with a smile on their face, with a lightness in their step. They can live with a victory in their heart, knowing that in you that they are more than a conqueror. They're overcomers, and they can do all things through you. So, Lord, I pray. I pray that you would honor this congregation with, with that faith. And, Lord, I pray that you would honor also with a miracle of healing, those that are here this morning that need a healing touch, Father, we know that there was a high price that was paid that they could say that they were healed. And I pray even this morning that there would be the miracle of healing. And Father, I pray for these that are here this morning that need forgiveness. They need to be able to know that they're a child of God. They need to know that their sin, that the life behind them is cleansed, not just covered, but cleansed, washed away by the blood of the Lamb. So, Lord, we thank you for the total cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray that any that are here this morning that need to experience that cleansing, that, Lord, you would do that total work, do that complete work, Father. With heads bowed, eyes closed, and, and I'd like to invite Julie, if you would, please come. And, and what I'm going to ask is, is this. You're here this morning, and you need forgiveness. You need your past, every sin, to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. 
and you need the enemy to quit reminding you of forgiven sin. And you need the enemy to quit condemning you over sin that has been forgiven. I want the victory of Calvary to be yours. I want you to live free from condemnation, free from regret, and you to be able to enjoy your salvation because you know the blood of Jesus Christ was more than enough. And I want to have a prayer with you, with you seated right here. You're on your way to heaven. You love the Lord, but you need victory over the condemnation of sin. I'd love to pray with you right there where you're seated. Would you hold up your hand? You're here this morning. Father, I pray right now for every one of my brothers and sisters that need this victory. Take away the lie, take away the deception of the enemy. And may we know that our past is covered by the blood of the Lamb. May we know what redemption is, that we are redeemed. And that, Lord, you paid the price in full. So, Lord, may there be no more condemnation, no more victory of the enemy concerning our past sin. May we be redeemed. May we be cleansed. May there be a pure conscience. And Lord, may there be the blessing of knowing that we are your children, completely forgiven. The high price was paid, Lord, and we enjoy the victory of the price Jesus paid for us. To you be the glory, Lord. Congregation, would you stand with me, please? I, I know you can't wait till I give you the opportunity because you're just waiting for the opportunity for me to allow you to be able to raise your hands and worship the Lord because you want to worship Jesus for the high price that was paid for your sin and for your healing. So would you join me and let's do that. Lord, we worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming from the glories of heaven. Thank you for being fashioned in the form of a man, even a baby laid in a manger. Thank you, Lord, for the high price that was paid for our salvation, that, Lord, you were obedient to your cause all the way to the death of the cross. And, Lord, now we, we worship you. We magnify you. We thank you, Lord, for every step of obedience that took you to Calvary. And we bless your name. And, Lord, we declare that you are far above Today, you are far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion. In your name, in your name, there is victory for us. And Father, I pray that now you would meet us in this, in this altar time, that Lord, you'd minister openly, mightily, and specifically to every need that is given to you in Jesus' name. God is so good. Can you say amen? If you're here this morning and you have a need, maybe you need a healing, maybe you need victory, you're in a life circumstance and you need to be able to just have victory in the midst of it. I'm gonna ask you, would you come stand across the front of the church? Uh, I wanna come, I wanna anoint you with oil. We're gonna pray for God to do a work for you. No matter what your need is, if you would just come and give it to Jesus and we wanna pray and believe for your total victory today. I'd like to invite some deacons and deacons' wives and those that have a passion for prayer, come and pray with us.
Thank God for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we pray your blessing upon your people. We thank you for the beautiful morning, for meeting with us. We pray your blessing to continue in the afternoon. Bring us back tonight to receive from your word. And, and Lord, we pray. We pray, Father, that we would recognize the value of every soul. That, Lord, you paid the price in full. And, and we glory in the sacrifice of Calvary. We glory in the provision of healing. And we glory that we can live in your victory, Lord. So bless your people, encourage them, and may they be able to go on for you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless your heart. Bless your heart. Love you all. Thank you.